we're blessed to be together again this evening, and I'm thankful for each of you who are here. I join with the others in welcoming any who are visitors. We thank you for taking part in our time together with God and our time discussing God's Word. The assigned topic of our evening services is a study of the book of Proverbs, and up till now we've talked about introductory things to set the stage for more or less a topical approach to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a book of wisdom, and the opposite of wisdom is folly. There are certain vices and, and, and foolish characteristics that come from folly, and there are certain virtues and wise or righteous characteristics that come from wisdom. And so the things that we talk about together this week will relate to wisdom and its associated virtues and folly or foolishness and its associated vices. That's an overly simplified breakdown of what we'll talk about. Tonight, we're going to talk about wisdom being the principal thing. We'll analyze wisdom a little bit more and talk about the pursuit of that wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7 through 9, he said, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. In this passage, he shows us the principality or the principle or basic nature of wisdom, and because of its basic nature, because wisdom is the principal thing, we need to, in all of our pursuits, hungrily pursue wisdom. <clears throat> so the reason for pursuing wisdom is based on what wisdom is, and that it is the principal thing. This word translated principle carries along with it this idea of being an originator or something from which other things spring. Think of the primary source of things that follow, and you get the idea of wisdom being principal things. So we can consider wisdom then as foundational, and it is foundational to the different virtues that rise from it. So because wisdom will bring virtues, I need to pursue wisdom in the way that's described in this passage. <clears throat> if we had to kind of just grab one verse that would be uh, more or less capture the theme or the thought process for our evening services, I think uh, Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 7 would pretty well sum that up, that uh, we're out to get wisdom, we're out to get understanding because wisdom is this principal thing. Now, think about that pile of gold there. I don't want you to dwell on it too long and become covetous for it, but let's think about it a little bit. As you look at that, you think about that, I suppose there are some of us who have already mentally spent quite a bit of that. And you no doubt have spent it on a lot of good things. I'm going to guess that at least a few people here have looked at that and thought, well, I wonder what all kind of good I could do with that. I'm going to go and do some good with that. And no doubt a lot of charitable things would be done. There might be a few that have made an imaginary trip to the car lot by now, you know, to, 
to think about that, or maybe you've begun to think about a home that that would purchase. We, we understand the Bible warns us about greed. We, we understand that. We understand that money and monetary things are momentary in life and that our most key and important pursuits are to be heavenly in nature. We recognize that. But let's not kid ourselves. That's interesting to us. We value that. Even though we know on a mental level, scripturally, its value is limited, there's still a, a baser part of us that's just kind of, boy, that sure is shiny, you know. Think about what all that could do economically or financially. And with that thought process in mind, think of Proverbs 16 and verse 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding it is to be chosen rather than silver. Now, if you take a person of the world and you try to convince them that wisdom is better than that big stack of gold bars, you might have a hard task before you to, to really persuade them of that. You walk with Christ very long and it will become more evident to you with each passing day Amen. that wisdom is far greater than that pile of gold. We'll look at principles this week, not just in tonight's study, but this week in the course of our studies that will show us why wisdom is better than gold. Because gold is not as much fun as it looks if it's had in want of wisdom. In Dad's effort to teach us to not be frivolous and careless with money. He used to tell a story about a family he knew way back from hard times in the Depression era. And he would talk about the patriarch of that family and he talked about them winning some sort of settlement or some kind of a suit or something where they got a, a considerable sum of money. And Dad talked about what that fella did. He went to town. The first thing he did was he made his trip to the car lot and he bought a brand new vehicle. And then he burnt the road up, taking that back and forth to town, living in a way and doing things that was not wise and was not godly. And Dad just walked us through the process of what happened to that fellow, and then it got to the end of the way. He was just as poor as he was before any of that ever started. And the point of his story was, don't be foolish and careless with what you have. I've thought about that a lot in adult years and watching people. I've seen that story play out again and again. It hadn't been that long since I visited with a family where someone that was very dear to them played that same story out. All that gold is not so great if there's not wisdom in place to guard it. Wisdom without gold still works. It still does its job. But gold without wisdom is pretty weak and it won't last long. I know it looks pretty. I know it looks shining. I know we think it's powerful, but it won't do much if it's not used with wisdom. And so it gets a little bit easier the more you think about it to understand why he would say wisdom it really is better than gold because wisdom will stand alone in its value and gold cannot. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, we get the idea from here that wisdom comes from God and we want to think about if we're to pursue wisdom then I want to know where to get it and where we go to get it is God. Proverbs 2, 6, and 7, the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield of those who walk uprightly. So if you want to gain wisdom, 
if you want to get this valuable thing that we're talking about, then we turn to God as the source for that wisdom. Romans 11 and 33 reminds us of the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Looking beyond the furthest horizon you can imagine, you cannot see the far-reaching boundaries of God's wisdom. It is unfathomable to our thoughts. It is unreachable to our search. His wisdom is truly boundless. And when we think about his wisdom compared to our limited ability to gain wisdom, then it especially becomes boundless. So where else would we turn? but to God for wisdom. What are we going to do? Turn to another human? <clears throat> we think one human's going to get it that much better than the other? Well, I know some will do a little bit better than others, but on the relative scale, what's one person's wisdom compared to another? <clears throat> Unless that one person is getting their wisdom from God. And then they begin to excel. So we look to God as the source for our wisdom. Think about Solomon as an example of this. Solomon received great wisdom from God and was blessed accordingly. 1 Kings 4 and 29 says God gave Solomon wisdom <coughs> and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand of the seashore. Was, was Solomon in league with God in terms of the magnitude of his wisdom? Of course not. But compared to other humans... He excelled them all. Why? Because he had God as his source. He had God as his source of wisdom. And what did that do for Solomon? What did that produce for him? In 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 23 and 24, it says, So King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. Now all the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. Because Solomon had God as his source of wisdom, he surpassed all of his peers. He was the master of his field. And he was the, the head of his field, the head of his peers because of his wisdom. And everybody wanted to come be with him. And everybody wanted to come and learn from him. Now, I understand that God gave Solomon wisdom in a special and unique way. I recognize that. And I recognize that we may not get that immediate bestowment or direct bestowment of wisdom from God in the same way that Solomon got that. But we can get wisdom from God's word. Proverbs, or excuse me, Psalms 19 and 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. <laughs> that word simple? That's talking about somebody that's simple-minded. We can all kind of identify with that. I don't want to hear you saying, yeah, I know, I've got a brother that's that way. I'm, we're all that way. Compared to God, certainly, we're simple. But he said his word will make the simple wise. So our way of receiving wisdom is to turn to God's word. Psalms 119, verse 130. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Again, even the simplest mind can glean wisdom from God's word. What did we learn is the stated purpose of the book of Proverbs in our introductory studies? To impart wisdom. 
And so all of God's word gives us wisdom, and especially <laughs> the book of Proverbs is designed to give us wisdom. So when we turn to God for wisdom, we understand we're turning to his word for wisdom. And we're trying to learn that from his word. Now, you get into this mental competition. Someone says, well, I think experience is the best teacher. So the way you really learn is you learn from experience. Well, we're learning it, it, at least from an instructional standpoint of what these scriptures say, that the word of God is the superior source for wisdom rather than experience. And you might say, well, does that say that experience has no value or is very limited in its value? <clears throat> I'll tell you about a business transaction between different fellows, and I'll avoid going into a lot of particulars, but I was very well acquainted with uh, counterparts in a business transaction. And there was a couple of guys in that that had the same amount of experience in terms of years lived. One of the fellows really had more experience in the sense that he had done a greater variety of different things, some of them very difficult to do. But he wasn't a student of the word at all. And it wasn't hard to see the way he transacted business. The other fellow was and remains that way. So they both had the same amount of experience, but they were not equals in the pursuit of this business. You had one, the guy that was a Christian, that was a finisher. He did all he could to get his job done and do his part and be ethical and do what he said he would do and all the things that you would associate with, with, with wisdom. He worked hard, all those things packed together in his conduct. The other fellow, you really couldn't depend on him to do what he said he would do. Some of it he got done and some of it he didn't. Some of it he followed through and some of it he didn't. And at the end of the day, he wasn't a finisher. He was a quitter. <laughs> And it hurt his business. It hurt his part in the matter. <clears throat> and he had some financial entangle entanglements in the pursuit of this business and some complications with the bank. <clears throat> and the reason he had those things was because he wasn't a finisher. He was a quitter. And he didn't conduct himself with ethics that comes from wisdom. <clears throat> so you're looking at guys with the, the equal amount of experience, really one of them arguably a little bit more experience. But this one viewed his experiences through the lens of the wisdom he received from a study of God's word. And comparatively speaking, he was smart as a whip. And the other guy was dumb as a sack of hammers. Comparatively speaking. Now, if you went and talked to that fellow, you wouldn't walk away saying, well, he's an idiot. You wouldn't necessarily think that. But the more you watch the two simultaneously in the process of this endeavor the more obvious it got. One guy was really sharp, and the other guy was really not. Okay? And the difference wasn't the amount of experience they had. The difference was they worked their experiences. They absorbed their experiences. They learned from their experiences through the lens of God's wisdom or in want of God's wisdom. And so you've got a guy that's stacking up all these stories of things he's been through and things that he's, that's happened to him and failures that he's faced. And guess what? 
In his mind, they're all somebody else's fault. <laughs> You're getting the picture. Wisdom really is the better teacher. That doesn't mean that experience has no value, but experience takes on its value when it's viewed through the lens of what God's Word teaches us. And so we look to God as the source of our wisdom and we study His Word seeking that with an understanding that we're seeking something that is transforming in its nature. So when we look for wisdom, we're not just looking for a bunch of sage-sounding quips. We're looking for things that will change us. Consider Proverbs 3, 19-24. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, He established the heavens. By His knowledge, the depths were broken up, and clouds dropped down the dew. My son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, so they will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. Then you will walk safely in your way, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down, and your sleep will be sweet. Now, he talked about the wisdom that God employed in creating the world. And he compared that to wisdom's transforming power in our lives. Think about that for a minute. I'm going to suppose that with at least most of you, you have some decent familiarity with the creation narrative in the book of Genesis. In the beginning, you know, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was waste and void, and darkness on the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering there over the face of the waters. and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then he goes on and talks about God separating the light from the darkness and separating the, the land from the water and making the seas and doing all these things. All kinds of transformations were happening in that creation week, those six days. Radical transformations. In the book of Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19 through 24, he takes us and says, look at those radical transformations that God did by wisdom. Wisdom will do that with you. Wisdom will do that for you. It has that much transforming power. I believe God created the heavens and the earth. And I believe that God used his, his wisdom to fashion and craft the perfect world that he made. I know we've corrupted by sin, but even corrupted by sin, it's still a beautiful and magnificent creation. And we see the touch of God's wisdom in the things that surround us and in life that goes forward, even through difficult circumstances. And that power and the transforming power that wrought that can also transform your lives. So, when we seek wisdom from God's word, we're not just looking to be able to cross our legs and put our thumb to our fingers and say a bunch of cool sounding stuff. We're, we're studying for wisdom with an understanding I'm looking for things that will transform me. Let's continue our thought of this wisdom's transforming power. In Proverbs 2, verse 10 through 12, when wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things. So we've got preserve, we've got keep, 
and we've got the liver, all as actions that wisdom can exact upon us or transformations that wisdom can facilitate. So as I look for wisdom, I'm looking for things that I can employ that will help facilitate this manner of change. Consider James chapter 1 now, verse 21 through 25. This, talking about the same issue of studying God's word for something that's going to transform me, now we're dressing it in the language of studying it to be obedient. Let's read this together now in our hearts. James 1, verse 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So what does this teach us to do in our pursuit of God's word? He teaches us to study, to be obedient. We're looking for things to do, not just things to hear. We're not just trying to gather information, but we're trying to gather precepts by which we live, principles to follow, commands to obey, to put it in simpler terms. And what did he say happens with this person? He said, this guy will be blessed in his deeds. The one that receives the transforming power of God's word is the one who studies it obediently. Now we take that general principle and we go backwards with it back into this discussion of wisdom and we plug it in. And what do we see? The guy that's blessed is the guy who studies God's word, gains its wisdom, and as he goes through his day-by-day -day life gaining experiences, he looks at his choices and he says, you know, wisdom says I should do this. And so he does that instead. And then he goes a little bit further and he looks at another set of choices and he says, you know what? Wisdom says I should do this. And he doesn't do that perfectly. None of us do. But that's his goal. That's the dominant rudder that steers the ship of his life. And day by day as he gains experiences, he sees those experiences, those successes and those failures through the lens of things that he's learned in God's word. Not just learned, but applied obediently, humbly, receiving meekly, you see, the implanted word. And those experiences make more sense. He's starting to get it. He more readily sees where he messed up, where he failed to follow wisdom. The other guy... In that business deal we were talking about earlier, he's lost as a duck off the pond. He doesn't know what he's doing. He thinks all his problems are someone else's fault. He's got tons of experiences, some very painful, but he's not learning from them. The one that learns, the one that is blessed, is the one that studies the word and seeks wisdom for practical application to how they live. And when we submit to those things and the choices that we make, we begin to experience wisdom's powerful, transforming capabilities. And with that, wisdom becomes a divider of the race of man. 
Wisdom, to, to use a, a judgment phrase, wisdom separates the sheep from the goats. Look at this passage in Proverbs 3 and 35. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the legacy of fools. So this passage contrasts the wise with the fool. And what does the wise get? Do they inherit that room full of gold bars? Well, they got something better. They inherit glory. What do you think that is? You think that might have to do with honor and godly esteem in this life? You think that might have to do with the heavenly reward and the glory of that heavenly reward? He said shame will be the legacy of fools. I've been describing in vague generalities a business situation, and you've got a picture in your mind of two guys, and in one mind, one guy in your mind, he's this honorable fellow. You, you've not even met him, perhaps, and yet you like him, and you would like him if you did. If you met him, you'd immediately want to be his buddy. That's the wise fellow. The other one, he's sort of disgraced a little bit. He's not a horrible guy. He's not somebody you'd necessarily hate, but he's kind of under a little bit of disgrace. See, I've got an idea of what he looks like to the banker. I understand that. I understand a little bit about what his reputation is in the community and in the financial community. I'm, I'm not trying to dance on the fellow's grave, so to speak. I'm trying to draw out the truth of Proverbs 3 to let us see that folly is followed by shame. Okay? And so wisdom has just parted those two fellows. It has divided the race of man and created a distinction there. Look at the idea of being commended as opposed to being despised. Proverbs 12 and verse 8, A man will be commended according to his wisdom, but he who is of a perverse heart will be despised. That's about as opposite as you can get. One person is appreciated and enjoyed and commended, and the other person is despised. Nobody wants to be hated. Now, if they're anywhere near in their right mind, do they want to be hated? And what's the difference between those two extremes? Wisdom, the divider of the race of man. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 6, God explained to Israel how this would work for them as a nation if they would study his word obediently. He said, therefore, be careful to observe them, talking about his laws, <clears throat> for this is your wisdom. And your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, <coughs> surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What did he promise them if they would search the word, if they would study seeking wisdom in its transformative power? He said other nations will come to know you as a great and wise people. Your reputation will be elevated. You will be exalted above your peers. Is that what happened to Solomon? It certainly is. And that could happen to Israel. That did happen to Israel when she was hitting on all cylinders and doing what she was supposed to do. And when they failed, that showed. Because wisdom divides the race of man. Wisdom divides us in the sense of ease versus hardship. Good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. A life of a sinner is a hard life. It brings difficulty, it brings sorrow, it brings shame, it brings affliction. But a life that's guided by understanding or wisdom, that's a life that has favor, that has joy.
That's why that room full of gold bars is limited in its value. You need wisdom to govern their usage. And that's why wisdom is more important because that brings a life of joy. The way the transgressor is to go in there and get those bars of gold and use them for sin. And they may have all this gold, but they've, all, they've got all of sin's misery to go with it. And what kind of life is that? Wisdom divides the race of man. Wisdom divides between builders and destroyers. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. This applying the concept particular to a wife and a mother. And her wisdom here is seen in the fact that she's building up her house. And folly is seen in the way that she conducts herself that ultimately tears it down. We all know people that are just inherent destroyers. They destroy everything in their path. And those people have folly corrupting their lives and their making of decisions. And we know people that are builders, people that tend to bring success to the things that they affect and govern. And those people are guided by wisdom. Wisdom does these things because wisdom governs our behavior. And, and this is another way of reemphasizing the importance of the practical application of the things you learn when you study the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 4, verse 14 through 15. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evil men. Avoid it, do not travel on it, turn from it, and pass away. This is one of my favorite passages from the book of Proverbs. It's, it's a close contest between this one and Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. They're just really wonderful passages. And this one is, is powerful in its repetition. This is another one of those parallelisms that we talked about and different people will label it, label it different ways. I think some would label this as a progressive parallelism. I label it as a machine gun. <laughs> because it keeps firing the same caliber of bullet over and over. It's just worded a little bit different. Don't enter the path of the wicked. Don't walk in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Don't travel on it. Turn away. Pass on. Six times in two rather short verses, six times he said, avoid the path of sin. That's how wisdom will, will lead us. If we follow the ways of wisdom, we will have hammered into our head this idea, I've got to avoid the wicked path. That repetition there, I, <clears throat> there are two things I picture. One thing I picture is dad lecturing us boys when we were little and the repetition of phrases and the hammering of things to try to get it into our thick heads to use some of his language. And the other thing I picture is sort of similar to that and that is a blacksmith with an anvil and hot steel and a hammer. And he's repeatedly pounding on that steel because it's been heated up and he's reshaping it. And it's a repetition of pounding over and over and the well-placed strike hitting it again and again and again. And before long, that metal is reshaped into whatever he's fashioning. That's the repetitive value of wisdom instructing us, stay away from that, stay away from that, stay away from that. And God emphasizes that because he knows our flesh is screaming to us.
to go do that stuff. And God knows our need to have that repeated to us. And so wisdom repeats that to us. Avoid those things. Avoid those things. If you can't in the moment of temptation and trial clearly see why you need to avoid those things, just trust God. Just trust what his wisdom says. Take his word for it that it's true and avoid those things and wait for later to understand it. I'll tell you, I, I did my share of stupid things growing up, and I'm pretty sure I'm not done yet, okay? But I can look back at different junctions in my life where I had a choice setting in front of me, and, I, you know, mentally and emotionally and morally, I was sweating bullets because I really wanted to do something that I really wasn't supposed to do. And in that moment of trial, it does not always look crystal clear to you. If you trust that God-fed voice in your heart, where Proverbs has been pumping wisdom in, if you trust that God-fed voice that says don't do it, you don't have to understand why in the moment. A day or two later, you will. And there's some moments I can look back on where I turn right instead of turning left. And I'm telling you, my story today would be a completely different story if I hadn't made that better choice way back when. Yeah, there's some I'd like a do-over. I understand that. I'm not trying to say that I always got it right. But I'll tell you what, for the times that there were, it illustrates very clearly what these pastors are teaching us about the value of staying away from those problematic paths. Maybe you have some recollections of things like that too. Wisdom governs our behavior because it teaches us to fear God. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. You see the relationship between those two phrases? Humility admits, I answer to God. Okay? So I'm going to fear God. And with that understanding of fearing God, recognizing that I answer to God, what comes then? With that sense of accountability, I'll learn and receive more wisdom. What does that make? That makes an honorable person. Okay? So you see the relationship between those phrases and see how transforming wisdom is in the way it governs our behavior because it teaches us to fear the Lord and it's not just this, oh no, I did wrong, I'm going to pay. But it's this kind of relationship where we recognize our accountability and our answerability to God and so we choose different. We choose differently because of that relationship with God. It's something that affects our walk in a very specific, practical, and discernible way. Look at the language we find in the New Testament, in Ephesians 5, in verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. How does a wise person walk? Circumspectly. How does a fool walk? Blindly. You say, well, what's blindness got to do with circumspect? Circumspect is, is a fun word because we can break it down and be word nerds. So y'all all join me in being a word nerd here. Okay? Circle. That's circle. Circumference. Think back to geometry class. Okay, some of you hadn't had geometry yet, but those who have, think geometry. Circumference. Circum. Okay? Spect. Spectacles. 
looking. So you're looking in a circle. That's what it means to walk circumspectly. When they talk about an athletic competition, sometimes the coach will tell the, the players, play with your head on a swivel. That means they're looking in a circle. <laughs> they're always watching from all sides for whatever might be coming at them related to the, what they're competing in. And that's what the Lord is telling us how we need to live life. We need to live life with our head on a swivel. We need to be looking in a circle, you see. Because that's what wisdom does. Wisdom makes me choose to walk, not blindly, not blinding my eyes to the potential consequences of this choice that sits in front of me, but really looking in a circle and really thinking, all right, now what's going to happen if I decide to do this? What's going to happen next? What might the consequences be? What have I been warned might happen? In James 3 and verse 13, he said, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done, listen to this, in the meekness of wisdom. Wisdom is inherently meek. It is inherently humble. And so somebody who is wise, he instructs that person, you want to be wise? Here's what you've got to do. You've got to show that. Not by just spouting off from smart-sounding stuff. You've got to show that by good conduct, by the choices that you make, by the decisions that you make in governing your life. Okay? And that's how you show that you have wisdom. So tonight we've learned of the power of wisdom. We've learned that God is the source of wisdom. And we learned that in our pursuit of that wisdom from God, we pursue that by studying the word, not just stacking facts up like cordwood in our brain, but by looking for things to obey, looking for principles to apply. And when we do that, wisdom becomes very powerful in its ability to transform us and to change us to be this person that will be blessed in that deed of that godly pursuit. Wisdom for life. The primary choice that sets before you is, am I going to serve God or am I going to serve sin? And I want you to think about that choice if you're accountable before God. I want you to think about that choice being the choice to serve God. Many of you have made that choice, and I'm glad. But if you've not yet made that choice, I hope you'll think about the wisdom. Make this choice with your head on a swivel. Look in a circle. Ask yourself, what's going to happen if I choose to serve sin? It may be fun for a while, but it won't last. And when eternity comes, you'll know what the wise choice was. What if you choose to serve God? What if you choose to become a Christian and serve him faithfully? There'll come a point where you look back on that and you say, man, I averted disaster. And it was the wisdom of God that did it. So you think about God's wisdom and what choice he calls you to make as it relates to being a Christian and as it relates to faithful service. And if we can assist you in becoming a Christian or if you're a Christian and with our prayers we can assist you in faithful service, we stand ready to help you. If we can help you in either way, please come have a seat on the front while we stand and while we sing.